Welcome to Her Legal Global. I'm your host, Faye Gelb. Our podcast is dedicated to providing you with actionable skills to empower your legal career. And today we're welcoming Melanie Bank-Goella and her partner, Ellen Schlesinger, who will be talking to us about cultivating self-trust and getting comfortable in our own skin. Both are psychotherapists. Melanie and Ellen met in 2015 while working as student success and wellness counselors at Osgoode Hall Law School. Together, they developed and taught Osgoode's first comprehensive mindfulness course in 2017. They co-founded the online Facebook community of WELL, Women Evolving and Leading in Law, dedicated to fostering conversation about the intersections of career and well-being. Melanie and Ellen work together in their counseling and consulting practice known as From Anxiety to Ease. So I'm just going to get you started by telling us how did two former law students, lawyers, become psychotherapists? Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? I went to law school because I really wanted to help people, but then I found in my experience of helping people that our conversations were more rewarding to me than the paperwork that would occur afterwards. And so um, it got me thinking into maybe having a modified way that I help people and being in more in conversation and more in emotional connection with people. And was that your experience as well, Melanie? Um, Mine was slightly different in that I was always choosing between law and psychology, even prior to going to law school. And mine came from conditioning and family influence that I ended up steering towards law. Now, having said that, I did enjoy the study of law, but I was always trying to find the psychology part of it. So I was doing things like alternative dispute resolution, mediation, and I never found that it quite hit what I was looking for. So eventually, it was actually a moment of self-trust. Eventually, I had the insight during articling that trying not to do it anymore in this kind of peripheral way, but just going after it and going for psychology. So I stopped trying to approximate it through law. What a great uh, example of cultivating self-trust. So I just want to really explore what does that exactly mean to cultivate self-trust? So for me and us, I think in our work, self-trust is really about trusting who we really are. There's a lot of noise, I think, that gets in the way, like even with my example of feeling like there wasn't a sense that I could trust my deeper voice and have the courage to kind of listen to that deeper voice when there's so much programming and noise saying otherwise. So self-trust, I think, is knowing who we are at a deeper level, knowing that that is like good and wholesome, not coming from a bad place, even though we're not perfect, you know, and that there is this inner guidance system that we can trust. And it's not our anxious thoughts and it's not our anxious emotions. Those are kind of just like waves on the surface, you could say. Would you also say it's learning not to program yourself into the bigger goals of law? For example, saying that, you know, I'm going to become an associate. I'm now going to be on the partner track and not stopping in that journey to say, wait a minute, maybe this isn't quite aligning with my own values, my, you know, who I am as a person and where I really want to go, which is what we were we were hearing from you, Ellen, more along the lines of having a, a much better alignment with who I am and where I'm going. Well, and I, I think it's really challenging in life, especially because law is viewed as such a prestigious occupation. And so when you tell colleagues or coworkers or your parents that you know your journey aligns somewhere outside the field of law. I think there's a lot of 
initial sometimes disappointing comments or stares like why would you leave this profession that has a lot of prestige and now i think we we need lawyers and we need the legal profession but it's it's not necessarily for everyone or there could be an increase of diversity or ways of practicing within law that I, I think would make it more holistic and more responsive to, to more people and maybe cultivating more of a sense of, of belonging for a diverse people to, to stay in the practice. So we could use this self-trust to actually explore these different options in law. So why is it important to focus on this? Why is it important to focus on our self-trust, you know, beyond the obvious? So for, for us, I think, you know, working with our clients, which are primarily you know, lawyers and law students, we really see that it's lacking, self-trust is lacking, and we see how much suffering then is produced or not able to be sifted through. Because of that lack of self-trust, like I kind of put it out there to my clients, like imagine if you could trust yourself fully. Imagine that, what answers would come to you and clarity comes to them so quickly. Like there is clarity within all of us. It's just that we're bleeding all the, all the conditioning on top of it. So self-trust is really about why is it so important is so that we can actually live that life that's aligned to us that we don't get caught in the weeds as much, caught in that content of our thoughts, which so much of it isn't even our thoughts. And we can really kind of be true to ourselves, which as therapists, we know is one of the number one things people are after in terms of a rewarding, meaningful life. And do you find that it takes a lot of effort for people to cut through all that noise? Because I know that I post quite a bit about looking at your own self, your values, becoming more knowledgeable about who you really are. So in your practice, do you find that it takes quite a bit of work to get to that area where you can say, I'm really beginning to trust myself? Well, so this is Ellen. I would say, I'd say Melanie and I and our associates, we see results or understanding quite quickly because I think we have to remember, even though it's called self-trust and it's an encouragement to be with the difficult emotions or bodily experience, but self-trust can be cultivated in connection with other people and community. So when we're in connection with our clients, when we're in conversation with our clients, and they're being really listened to and understood, there's you know, a sense of ease that arises or just a moment, momentary pause in the noise or the chaos. And they experience being validated or that their experience isn't unjustified, right? And then so when we can feel encouraged and listened to by other people, we can practice that then more within ourselves. So, you know, oftentimes it can take connection with trusted other people to have us doubt ourselves less and then be able to go beyond the noise and the intensity of the anxiety, come back to our inner knowing, inner wisdom of what is important or appropriate for ourselves, our lives. So can I just divide that down then? You're saying that the self-trust can, you can develop it when you're talking with other people. So are you reflecting on yourself in the conversation? What are you doing there? Is it about them? Is it about you? Is it about a combination? Like what is happening? So, so usually as therapists, our primary spotlight is on the person we're sitting with. Of course, we bring ourselves to the table as well because, you know, it feels more human and real, but really our focus is on them and we're that safe container. We've already established a little bit of connection and relationship and warmth. Uh, we made it a bit safe that way before we actually start the practice of 
practicing the skill of self-trust. So by the time we're actually practicing it, it's very much a focus on the client and their experience. And in the moment, uh, small doses of it, it might just be a minute or two of them being able to say out loud what it is they're experiencing. Maybe it's anxious thoughts, maybe it's the tightening in the chest, maybe it's a rapid heartbeat. These things are quite silenced in our culture. We're not going to meetings and say, you know, give me a minute, my heart's racing. We're, we're pretending like that's not happening. So we make space really quickly for people to say that out loud, to be with that for a minute or two, and for us saying, you know, that's okay, that's totally human and doesn't reflect any kind of weakness on your part. So the spotlight's on them for sure. What else gets in the way of people having self-trust, being able to explore that, to go with it? Yeah, I think there's, there's, there's so much, right? And I think particularly for our population of lawyers and law students, there's such a focus that the profession fixes problems. They fix other people's problems. And so there's this expectation or this idea that quote unquote professionalism, their professionalism means they don't experience problems or they should be able to solve things really quickly or effectively or not have to feel them. Or if we push it away, if we ignore it, maybe it'll quiet down when often we find the opposite happens. You know, things get louder in our heads and our, in our bodies when we ignore them. I think it's like reminding ourselves that lawyers are humans too. And first and foremost, and so it's, it's appropriate that lawyers experience life, not only from their workplace, in their families, in their societies, in their cultures. And so they are impacted by it and they have a relationship with it. And it's, it's worth being listened to and explored just as if they would be doing that to their client. So basically, we're trying to get a person not to be in a cult of perfectionism. We're getting them to look beyond that to the reality of the of them as a person and to when they tap into that and they get rid of the perfectionism and that overriding pressure to be something that they may feel that they're not quite there at, then they can begin to look at what really is self-trust for them at that moment. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it, right? So uh, perfectionism is very much about this black and white categorical thinking. And it takes us away from being multidimensional. So I don't even mm. see it as imperfect or perfect because that also has this false ideal set up that we should accept being less than. There is no more than that we're right. trying to aspire to. We're multidimensional and we're nuanced. And, you know, I say let's play in that area instead of being categorical. But yes, part of being in our body very much is about letting it be multidimensional because sometimes we feel glimpses of peace that we can't even explain, right? So yes, I would say perfectionism and being open to something other than categorical. Can we, you give me some examples of where we're not trusting ourselves other than the obvious ones? Because sometimes I think it kind of sneaks up on us that maybe we think we're trusting ourselves and our judgment, but at that particular moment, we may not be doing it. I mean, so I don't know which are the exact obvious ones. Maybe the big life decisions are the obvious ones, but actually it's the micro examples, the day-to-day -day churning that we do. So one thing I hear a lot from clients about is just even writing our emails. Like we're all in correspondence all the time, right? Our inbox is completely flooded. Um, we're constantly having to engage in when to write back. You know, there's the constant like, sorry, sorry for my late reply. And it was just two hours later is like being bombarded with a feeling like we're not doing enough. And so we're not writing back fast enough. We are not greeting the person well enough. We're not 
articulating well enough. Maybe we made a mistake in that. You know, let ourselves be multidimensional. Of course, we're going to be conscientious about our correspondence, but I think I can see it go to the point of rumination, to the point of being so uncomfortable that every day is such an expenditure of our precious energy. What about with relationships? Does it come up there when we're maybe we're not saying what we think or holding ourselves back or ruminating about what we have said in a conversation? Because I know I've sure experienced that one. I think there's an important reason why we can be uncomfortable or worried about how we are in relationships. I think there's still this Western idea that we can survive all on our own and we shouldn't need anyone, but we do need other people for our well-being and our survival. We do need connection and community. And so I think there's, you know, again, it's like just demystifying the idea that we shouldn't be feeling uncomfortable things. So just taking that, like, I'm worried about how the other person will perceive the phone call or the text message, or we work a lot with lawyers who have a lot of social anxiety. So they're constantly rethinking a conversation or an interaction, like every detail of even body language and, you know, and so, and it's not over now, even just with all the video conferencing, there's, there's still all that. And we, we forget that, you know, every person has an innate worthiness and that things are also repairable right? Again, like Melanie said, it's not about attaining perfection. It's really about like being human is just having the courage to to check in to see how we are. How is that conversation? Are we okay? Or checking in with someone else just to just to have someone else kind of like be in our head with us and normalize things. Because I think there's also this idea when we experience discomfort that we interpret the discomfort as a failure. That is basically what we've been touching on is that when you really are doing this skill of self-trust, you are trusting that what is happening is the right thing, even though you're anxious. So even though you're feeling something uncomfortable, it's still okay to stay with that emotion and not squash it, not try to fit it in a box, not try and ignore it, not try and deal with it in some way that is maladaptive, but actually stay with the feeling. So can you tell me a little bit about how we develop and practice the skill? Yeah, sure. So what we do in our counseling sessions is we spend honestly just a minute or two attending to what's going on in the body. And so first I'll just say like avoiding that discomfort drives so much of our life. And I don't know that we realize how much it drives our life. So really this is about freedom, you know, so self-trust is about freedom. So if we knew it was okay to experience discomfort, that it's very human, it's not a sign of weakness, and that there's something in us that's more expansive than that discomfort, but we are more expansive than the discomfort, then we can hold that discomfort, right? So the way that we see that experientially versus just analytically, and we have people attend to their discomfort. So, right, so they'll say again, the chest is tight, the heart is racing, there's a pit in my stomach. We will encourage breathing through that, not because we're trying to eliminate the anxiety. We, it may or may not dissipate. Like we want to let go of a false illusion of control. Like it may or may not dissipate. The breathing creates space and it makes it feel safer. You know, just breathing with makes it more permissible to stay, I think. So then Ellen and I or other therapists will offer encouragement like, it's okay to feel this. It's okay to be with this. We don't even have to understand why it's here but you're handling it right now just by being with it. So we're demonstrating in just a few minutes 
that they are bigger than their discomfort. And then we start to be less afraid of the fear. Like that's really what drives things like panic and social anxiety is the fear of the fear. And so we're really trying to illustrate very uh, tangibly that actually you are bigger than that. And it's not wrong to have it, but you can be. So basically our expectations of what we should be doing around those types of feelings and the expectations of how we should be in control and how it should all work are one of the biggest things that is holding us back is what I'm hearing from you in terms of self-trust. Exactly. It's also okay to stumble a bit, right? Because these are, these are skills that are, that don't become an accomplishment. They're a daily practice, right? So I'd say even as therapists, even though we know and we've experienced all these things as as helpful, we still daily engage in this like reminding and this practice of like, okay, you know, it's this first, this noticing something is arising in me that I feel uncomfortable with. And it's very human to want it to stop. So right? when you say so you can, practice yeah. that over the day, what do you mean? Like, are we stopping and checking <laughs> in with ourselves? Are we doing breathing? Like we breathe ourselves through it. Like, how do we do this? We're not necessarily going to have a therapist with us. So if we were just going to take a skill from what you're saying to us today, is breathing something that you would really say is the place to start anytime that you want to tap into your self-trust? Well, I think it, I think first it's like it's a noticing, right? So it's an acknowledgement of what's there. Because by the time we notice that we're ruminating or we're anxious or we've made a judgment, our physiology is already overwhelmed, right? So we can notice the tightness in our body that we're not actually fully breathing, right? Our rib cage isn't expanding. We might not even be exhaling. We might be holding. It's a lot of almost like how we hold our breath is how we try to hold or control or anticipate so it's first like that noticing and also that gentle self-compassion of like give yourself a break like it's okay that it's it's like giving ourselves just that encouragement or that permission to to figure it out or to seek assistance to figure it out would you say one of the ways that you can begin to notice that you're not tapping into that is that your emotional barometer may be going up and down and like you may suddenly get stressed and angry or lashing out or you may not be coping with something that you normally cope with. Would that be an indication then that the self-trust has gone out the window? Yeah, I would, I would say so. Like we like to look at emotions as normal human signals. Like they exist for a reason. They're there as barometers, as you said, and we don't want to get into like exactly what they're saying because then our thinking mind gets a little too analytical but something's off we are caught in some way we are you know again caught up or stuck in some way and that's totally normal and human we probably do that multiple times a day and so it's usually either uncomfortable thoughts and their corresponding uncomfortable sensations so yes i would say that you know something some noise has gotten in the way and that's again totally acceptable totally human. But yes, it's a, I would say it's a barometer that, hey, maybe I'm not trusting myself right now. Do I just need to sit with this or do I just need to know that? And then those emotions might even pass on their own, but at least I'm not looking for the truth of who I am or clarity in those stuck moments. Yeah, I definitely think we feel as legal professionals, not just a perfectionism, but an urgency to figure things out quickly, quickly, effectively. Definitely think that yeah. is completely 100% accurate. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on people. So 
learning to tap into self-trust, I think, is an essential skill. So just so I understand it, I'm beginning to notice when I'm not. I'm off. Like it's not feeling right and I'm seeing some physiological or emotional response. So now I am going to address it. My next steps are to breathe through it. What do I do? Okay, may I suggest an acronym that we use called RAIN? And so it's used in the therapy world. And R, RAIN, is for that recognize, another word for noticing. So first we recognize. A is for the allow, which means we're going to let it some shape or form. I is for that investigation or inquiry. And the breathing is what helps us go through that. So we start to notice what does this feel like in my body? Not analyzing what it means, but what does it feel like? So we might say, oh, as I sit with it, the pit pit goes deeper. And so you breathe through that. And then the N is for nurturing, which is the self-compassion Ellen was talking about. And it's very simple. It's very much things like, may I be kind to myself through this discomfort? Um, It's okay. I'm human. I'm allowed to feel this discomfort. It's okay if there's a pit in my stomach. And what do you do after you've you've gone through that trust process? Do you move on? Are you back into the right mode to be self-trusting? What what happens next? You know, we at least just remember that we're not like the imagined catastrophe that we thought we were just maybe five seconds ago, 10 seconds ago, 10 minutes ago. And so I think it's the idea is to come out of the the storm and back into like this very present moment where generally speaking, like in this very moment right now, as we're talking and connecting on this podcast, we are safe. Nothing is, is harming us. So it's coming back to this precious, gentle moment. So being in the present moment is what we're talking about here. So really, mm-hmm. when we've gone through this process, I think that's what happens if we were going to talk about it, like self-trust, if you're not doing it, you're out of the moment. And by coming back into the moment, then you have that clue that you are, in fact, getting yourself centered is what I would call it. And it is doing something. Because I think also legal professionals are obsessed with like, what doing. are we doing, right? <laughs> of course. And so coming gently to the present moment, even for 10 seconds, is doing something. And we're not fighting against this sensation. We're not going to war against it. We're not trying to conquer it here. We're, we're acknowledging it. And it's okay it. not to like it. You still oh, that's don't have a to like point. it, though. Yes. Okay, yeah, great. that's all right. No, it, it's, of course we don't like uncomfortable sensations, right? And that's part of the self-compassion. Of course I'd rather not be experiencing this. And it's also, I think, what you're telling us is that it's part of changing your expectations. It's okay mm. and it's expected to be uncomfortable when your self-trust is going off. Mm -hmm. What would you say the expected results are when we learn to do the self-trust properly? Yeah, so I mean, it's. I think it starts with something like feeling like we have more breathing room in our life, feeling like we have a space of possibility, so the walls don't feel like they're closing in as much. And so that gap starts to get created around us. If our intuition is telling us, you know, something needs to be tweaked, right? So... A lot of times we'll hear from our clients, our lawyers, that I absolutely have to stay in this job. You don't understand. And we do, right? We get the debt. We get, we get the corporate ladder. We totally get that it feels like you have to stay. But when they sit and they breathe and get in touch with that inner voice that says, maybe it's okay to consider something else, we find people opening up to creativity the possibility. And these are, again, it could be big life changes. It can also be very small things like saying something to one's partner 
It might look like, again, conducting their office day differently, their work day differently. So it can look very different, but basically it starts that's pointing them in the direction of freedom. So freedom it would also apply to some of those examples that you were saying earlier about the email, for example. So what would it look like there? Okay, I've been sending out these emails and ruminating. What does my new freedom look like? Right. So I find I can, I think it's best when I talk about it very personally, because I can tell you exactly what it looks like for me. So I find sometimes I'll still ruminate. So the idea isn't that we'll get rid of that inner experience. It's that we don't necessarily let it imprison us as much. So I might say for me, for emails, it might look like, okay, there's that pattern of wanting to triple and quadruple check. There's that pattern of what will that other person think? There's the pattern of, again, that perfectionism. Cool. I'm human. (laughs) I've got this and I'll hit send and I'll be prepared for the discomfort that arises if I did make lightest of mistake or could have tweaked it a little better. Again, there's also a trust that I'm doing a pretty good job. I've read it, you know, maybe once or twice. So we're still being conscientious, but not overdoing it anymore. And it doesn't mean I wasn't uncomfortable. It's just that the discomfort doesn't have as much power over me. So then I can move on with something else or just have more free time. So the discomfort is not paralyzing us as we move forward. We're allowing ourselves to experience it and then get beyond it so that we are able to do what you're saying, which is take these great big leaps, potentially be innovative, be curious, be able to explore our world with the freedom that we certainly haven't had if we've been stuck in our anxious, non-self-trusting place. I just want to thank both of you very much for coming on the show today. For Legal Global, empowering and transforming us through skills and shared wisdom. For other great episodes, follow us and be sure to check out herlegalglobal.com for a community, informative skills-based articles, and to work with me, your host, Faye Gelb.